0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Hopefully you have your Bibles open, uh, the book of Acts, but what we're going to do this morning is a little bit different. We're not going to focus on these 10 verses. We're going to look at a broader topic, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, based on our passage. Uh, Some of you are familiar with pastor, author, Francis Chan. How many of you know that name? Good. Good. Because typically when I mention names, it goes back a few generations. Nobody knows who I'm talking about. Y'all know who Francis Chan is, right? So he wrote a book called The Forgotten God a few years ago. And that title got my attention, purchased the book, and the thesis of the book is this. He says in the church and even in believers' lives, something is missing. And then he highlights really what he's talking about, that something is someone the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to a passage this morning, Acts chapter 19, and it's a a transitional passage. What's going on, just like in Acts 18, there's this guy named Apollos, remember him? He didn't understand the gospel, and he's trying to preach the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila were kind enough, mature enough, loving enough, take him in, to their home and explain the gospel, he came to genuine faith in Christ and began preaching Jesus. Same thing is happening here in Acts 19. Now, where are we? We're in the city of Ephesus, and we're going to be there for a few weeks. Ephesus is a world-class city, 250,000 people at the time. It's a big deal. Paul's ministering at least two years plus, and he meets some disciples of John the Baptist. How interesting. How interesting. And then he asked the question, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? We don't even know there's such a thing as the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So Paul shares the gospel, they come to genuine faith in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit and great things happen in their life. And so this morning we're going to take a look at more of a creedal talk, a doctrinal talk on the person and yes, the Holy Spirit is a person please don't label the holy spirit as it it's a person the third person of the trinity father son and holy spirit we're going to close this morning singing the creedal song we believe god the father god the son god the holy spirit but if francis chan is right if there's something missing we want to kind of raise the bar this morning we want to understand who the Holy Spirit is, how he works. Now, if you have your Bibles, track with me, because I want to point you to Acts chapter 1, and we've been here, but this is a very important statement. John the Baptist said, hey, I baptize you uh, with water, but there's someone who's coming. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus picks up on that theme with his disciples before he ascends into heaven in Acts 1. Follow along, it's on the screen, or if you have your Bibles. Jesus said, while he was together with them, he commanded them, these were his disciples, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, a baptism of repentance, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this is really what's going on in Acts 19, in Acts 18. And so the Holy Spirit uh, comes, these disciples of John come to genuine faith in Christ, and now they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and their lives are transformed. And so again, kind of a doctrinal talk, and I hope this is very encouraging, but doctrine can be transformational, folks. We're called to be uh, sound in our doctrine as a people of God. So we want to stand, understand this morning who the Holy Spirit is, how he works in our life, and how a relationship with the Spirit of God will transform us. So two questions as we launch this morning. Number one, have you believed in Jesus and have you experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Folks, that's empirical. You should know the answer to that question. I hope that's been true for every one of us here this morning. Second question is this If you're in Christ as a believer, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you bearing forth fruit of the Holy Spirit? And by the way, biblically speaking, there is only one way to truly know you are living in a life in the Spirit, and that's the fruit from Galatians chapter 5. What is it? It's an organic whole. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Those are the attributes of the Spirit that we are called to manifest as we walk in the Spirit. So those are two great questions to apply right out of the gate. So if you have your Connect card, let me start with the blessing this morning. And the blessing is this. Each one of us can experience the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by embracing the truths outlined in Scripture. Now again, try to be Apollos. Try to be these 12 disciples at Ephesus. They were disciples of John, but they'd never heard the gospel. They came to faith in Christ, and then the Holy Spirit transformed their lives. But it was predicated on understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you four truths. Truth number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. All through the life of Jesus, his ministry, he promised someone was coming. In fact, he told his disciples when they were discouraged, he said, it's good that I go. Why? The Father's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Track with me in John 15, 26. It's on the screen. Jesus said this to his disciples and us. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, notice the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And then again, go back to Acts chapter 1, before Christ ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to do what? Wait in Jerusalem. And they waited, folks. And there was 120 disciples including Jesus mother Mary in the upper room. And they're praying, they're seeking the Lord, they're worshiping, they're drawing near to God and God drew near to them. And what happens in Acts 1 and 2? The Holy Spirit came with power. And the Holy Spirit was manifested through tongues and languages to communicate the gospel. Previously Peter a few weeks back denied the Lord 3 times. He went back to fishing. They were living in fear. Jesus says, wait, because you're going to be clothed with power from on high. When the Holy Spirit came, everything changed. And guess who steps to the plate? Peter, the one who denied, the one who thought he was disqualified, the one who was living fearful. He's back into the game. He's preaching the gospel. It's the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Thousands of Jews from all across the Mediterranean world and beyond are there. Let me show you something if you have your Bibles. Acts uh, chapter 2 verse 37. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Peter's preaching, a lot of people there, all these Jews from all around the world. When they heard this, this is the diaspora of Jews, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Can I encourage you? Anytime you read the word, anytime you listen to the word, anytime you're in a worship service, that is a wonderful question to ask the Lord. Lord, how should I personally respond to to your word, to your truth. It's called application. It's called not being hearers only, but doing the word. Lord, how should we respond? So here's what Peter says. Check it out. Acts 2, 38 through 39. Peter says, repent. And be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, notice this beautiful phrase, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, meaning Gentiles and us, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged him, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. I want to spend a moment on the phrase, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is charis, where we get the English word charismatic, grace gift. Charis is one of the beautiful words in the Greek language. It just simply means grace. And when you think about the Holy Spirit, here's the beautiful thing. This is God's grace gift to us through Jesus Christ. He gives us with his spirit, with himself, the spirit of God, as we'll learn in a little bit. It dwells believers. Now, folks, there is a fascinating study in the New Testament. There are 33 things at a minimum that the Holy Spirit supernaturally does when a person puts their faith in Christ. I'd love to do a popcorn quiz here. Can any of you think of uh, one or two things the Holy Spirit does as soon as you come to faith in Christ? Pardon me? Amen? Romans chapter 8. He intercedes when we can't pray. What else? Seals us. Ephesians 4. Seals us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Two out of 33. Got a lot more to go. Fills us. Amen. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. And friends, the list goes on and on. He gifts us. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 supernatural gifts to do supernatural works. He empowers us, meaning we can live victorious today. We can overcome the the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. What a blessing to to know God through the person of the Holy Spirit who is gifted to us. Now, let me show you what happens here. Acts chapter 2. Verses 41 through 42, and honey, by the way, could you get me a little water? I'm dehydrating. It's not a good thing when you're preaching because your mouth just wants to. This. All right. So, verses 41 through 42. Check it out. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, I've been asked this question. My goodness, here's thousands of Jews from all across the Mediterranean world coming to faith in Christ in Jerusalem and they baptized 3,000 people? That's a lot of people, would you agree? And the question is, how did that happen? Well, let me show you how it happened. I want to take you to Jerusalem and show you where the church was born. If you go to Jerusalem, this is the southern steps. And Jerusalem's built on a, thank you, is that open? what a gal you are loved and by the way you're not supposed to drink cold water because then it shrinks your vocal cords so not good so here's the southern steps in israel thousands are gathered peter preaches and it's a beautiful thing three thousand respond and say yes to the gospel yes to receiving the holy spirit now how did they get baptized there Well, let me show you. Just below that, literally hundreds of yards below it, is what's called mikvah There's dozens and dozens of what's called ritual baths for Judaism. And when you came into the temple, you did a ritual bath, you were purified, and then you would go to worship. The Jews used the mikvah to be baptized. Here's one of the big ones, 50 yards from the southern steps. And you could see... Uh, how easy it would be to uh, go through baptism. Let me show you a smaller one. Typically, there would be a a rail in the middle. You'd walk down, baptized, walk back out. And so 3,000 are baptized. Now, why water baptism when you have spirit baptism? I believe this with all my heart. Believer's baptism is the first sign of obedience of faith. That's what scripture says. So when you come to genuine faith in Christ, you believe the gospel, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then water baptism is an act of obedience. Remember what Jesus said? Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then you teach them to obey everything I commanded. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. Why be baptized? Paul says in Romans 6, when you're baptized, you die with Christ, buried with Christ through baptism. You're dying to self, you're dying to sin. It's a metaphor. But you come out of the waters, raised to walk a resurrected life. It's a picture of dying to sin, dying to self, and the resurrected life. But thirdly, and equally important, you get to publicly testify of the transformation that's taken place within to all those around. Now folks, in Christ's day, for them to cut the cord with Judaism and to align with Christ, it costs greatly. It really did. Sometimes it costs family ties. Sometimes it costs a lot. Today in uh, parts of India and Africa, when when you align uh, away from uh, Islam, away from Hinduism, it costs you everything. We don't have that problem in America. You know what our problem is? We take this too lightly. Baptism, believers' baptism, is a serious doctrine in the Christian faith. And so I want to encourage you, if you've believed in the Lord, act of obedience. And by the way, let me show you a cool picture here. Here's Nolan. Love that pic. And so uh, one of our Teenagers uh, coming to genuine faith in Christ, getting baptized. And this Easter, we're going to celebrate beautiful believers' baptism. And so, if you're at all interested, you can talk to myself, Pastor Jason, you can go online, register. We'd love to encourage you in that step. So, truth number one Um, truth number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John 14. Again, this is more of a doctrinal talk. John 14, 15 through 18. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. Christ cares. He loves us. He blesses us. Then, here's what Jesus said. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you do know him because he remains with you and don't miss this, and will be in you. And I love this next metaphor. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Folks, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit and that's a big deal. When you believe the Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells us to be with us. Why? So we're not left as orphans. And what that simply means is God through his spirit is always present. We're never alone. And in your loneliest of days, you're not alone. Jesus says, I'm always with you. I'll be with you to the end. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. How does he do that? Through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul picked up on this theme of the Spirit of God indwelling us, and he uses another beautiful metaphor. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, track with me, and it's almost like he says it rhetorically or assumption. Here's what he says. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And notice this next phrase. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Again, if you look at yourself today, if you're a trichotomist, it's called theologically body, soul, and spirit, right? We're made in the image and likeness of God. This temple, body, soul, and spirit, is a temple of the living God. Now, why does Paul use the metaphor of temple? Well, let me show you. We're in Ephesus right now. 2,000 years ago, that's what they saw. It's called the Temple of Artemis. It's perched up there in Ephesus, and uh, they worship the god Artemis. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks. Go to Jerusalem. Herod the Great spent 46 years developing the second temple and he basically doubled the size of Solomon's temple. Josephus said, the great historian of the Jews, he said, if you haven't seen the temple mount, you haven't seen a temple. This was it. Now, of course, in 70 AD, it got destroyed, and today there's the Western Wall where the Jews worship. There's the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, which is Islam, but that was huge back then. Let me show you one more. We were in Athens a few weeks ago, Right, So here you have the Parthenon, the temple of Athena. There were temples everywhere. And so people understood this idea of temple. What is God saying now through his word? Your body is the temple of the spirit of God. And the spirit of God lives within you. What a beautiful picture. I'll always remember my first encounter with the spirit of God. I was 19 years old at the time and uh, very disillusioned uh, in life. Uh, The drug culture wasn't panning out too well. And uh, Ellen's older brother, Tom, one of my best friends at the time, called. And I hadn't seen Tom for a long time. He went away to college. I was working as a toolmaker. Tom says, hey, uh, Keith, the guys are getting together for a rap session. You want to join us? So I'd see Tom, John, Ken, you know, a bunch of guys that I ran with, and so I showed up at Ellen's house, in her family room. And uh, next thing you know, I walk in, and something was radically different. The countenances of these men that I ran with during high school and partied with hard during high school changed. I was like, wow, this is interesting. But not only was their countenance different, their language was different. Their hearts were made new. I literally saw the glory of God in that living room that morning. And then what happened was each of the guys shared their testimony, how they came to faith in Christ. I was stunned. I was tasered. I couldn't believe it. These are my drug partying and buddies, and they all got saved, and here I am. And so fast forward, God used that spirit encounter a year later, to bring me to genuine faith in Christ. But friends, I'll never forget it. You know what I saw in them? I saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. I saw 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any person is in Christ, the Holy Spirit's living in them, present in them. They are a new creation. The old is passing, the new is coming. That's what I saw. And folks, again, it goes back to the fruit of the Spirit. I saw love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. I saw the presence of the Holy Spirit manifest to these new believers. And it was transformation. Truth number three, the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promises the Spirit. The Spirit's present when you come to genuine faith in Christ. Third, the power of the Holy Spirit. Back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, if you would. And again, this is a really significant um, verse in the book of Acts for many reasons. Gospel expansion, but also to realize the gospel will never expand, go to the ends of the earth without the Spirit empowering God's people. So Acts 1, verse 8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses. And by the way, the word there in Greek is martyros where we get the word martyr. How interesting. Jesus uh, told his disciples there would be martyrdom coming. and We've already seen some examples of that. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, again, if you like taking notes, the word there for power is a very important word. It's dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. And please, let me encourage you, don't think of explosive power, all right? We don't want to blow up anything. But here's what we want to think about. We want to think about supernatural power. That, folks, God's Holy Spirit living within us gives us dunamis to live victorious in this present age. Let me ask you this question. I think it's a relevant question. Have you ever heard someone say, God will never give you more than you can handle? You ever hear someone say that? A few of you? Do you think it's true? Answer slowly. By the way, did you guys find your compass? I put three or four in this row. He didn't look. Oh, they looked? Okay. Someone stole it. Mickey stole them. All right, Mickey's going to sell them. Okay. Side note. So where were we? Oh, so what do you think? And I've heard this many times, folks, that God will never give us more than we can handle. Can I humbly say something? That is absolutely not true. It's not true. Let me prove it. Parents. You ever feel like you're in over your head? Never, huh? You got it down, Ikenberry? Right. Counting on you. Hey, if you need help parenting, just give, <laughs> give the Ike a call. He'll help you. We have young adults, twenty-nine year old daughter, twenty seven year old twins. We're still parenting. And there were seasons of life we were way in over our head. We were sharing this morning, reminiscing a little bit about fasting and praying walking through various rooms in the house, asking God to sanctify those rooms for his glory. Those were difficult days. Let's go to the Bible, though. That's more important, right? How about Moses? Can you imagine being 80 years old, right? Some of you are thinking, oh, those are golden years. Here's Moses, retired, right? Uh, Social Security, AARP, just living the dream gonna chill out right and all of a sudden he encounters a burning bush and the bush starts talking to him it's god of course right and what was the call hey moses you're my guy to do what go to pharaoh let my people go do you think moses was in over his head moses told us he was time out lord you got the wrong guy how about esther one of our favorite stories in all the Bible. Here's this teenage girl, chosen to be queen of Persia. 127 provinces, the greatest empire the world has ever seen in that day. And she steps to the plates, requests the king do things that are just radical and saves the Jewish nation from genocide. Do you think Esther was in over her head? Absolutely. And friends, the list goes on and on. Why does God give us more than we can handle? Here's why. So we depend on him. John 15 Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a blessing to know. Therefore, abide in Christ, abide in the vine, stay rooted in him. What a gift. Let me show you another Verse. Old Testament and then New Testament, there's this gentleman named Zerubbabel. He's being used by God to rebuild the temple after it was destroyed by Babylon, and I mean destroyed and looted. Here's what God says to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might. Notice this next phrase. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, if you're gonna get this job done, if you're going to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, if you're going to see fruit and the temple restored, it's got to be a spirit-empowered work. And friends, what's true then is true now. Let me show it to you for the believer. In Ephesians, Paul says this, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man, notice, through his spirits, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me tell you one of my stories. This goes back many, many years ago. So I came to Christ when I was 19 and uh, started smoking uh, cigarettes uh, in junior high. So by the time it's 19, I'm doing about two packs a day, and I was addicted. Uh, Cigarettes aren't a good thing. Students don't follow that example. Follow what happened next. And so I get saved, and some things naturally just kind of dropped off. It was easy. Cigarettes weren't easy for me. And I remember after about six to nine months, I just felt impotent. I felt weak. I felt like I couldn't overcome and conquer cigarettes. I remember there were times I'd be going to church. I was pretty faithful, pretty active in church, and I'd smoke a you know, cigarette, and then take some chiclets. Do we still sell chicklets? Do you know what chicklets are? I'd grab five or six of those, try to get rid of the smoke thing. But when you smoke, you smoke, right? And you're a smokestack. Your fingers are orange. It's kind of nasty. So one, one Sunday evening, we had Sunday evening worship. I was just discouraged, and I stood up in church, and I confessed that. I said to the church, I'm lying. I'm hiding. I'm running. I'm smoking and trying to hide it. I felt ashamed. And I said, would you guys pray? Well, guess what happened? They said yeah. So they prayed that night and they kept praying. It wasn't a few days later I can remember where I was, and the last drag of a cigarette I had smoking, and I just felt nauseous, sick, and I knew instantaneously that was God the Holy Spirit freeing me from that addiction. You know what people say today? Pastor, I want to put smoking. Would you pray for me and pray that I get sick? <laughs> I can do that. I can do that, why not, right? But folks, that seems simple, right? I know that seems simple because smoking doesn't kind of get our attention. It was a big deal to me, a big deal. I wanted to overcome that. But the question this morning is, do you feel impotent, spiritually speaking, in any area of your life? That you're not overcoming, that you're not living victorious, that you're falling prey to sin, A few weeks ago we talked about the various categories of sin. Some sexual. And I don't like to be gloom and doom, but I tell you, pornography, gentlemen especially, if you're struggling, we can help come clean, stand up someday and just say, that's me, I need help. How about relationally? The majority of sins in Galatians chapter five are relational. Lack of forgiveness harboring bitterness, anger, malice, dissension, things that just hurt the body of Christ, the fellowship of God. Then there's that whole category of self-centeredness and and greed and, and living just for me, for today, for now, not thinking about eternity. Folks, whatever it is, God the Spirit wants to empower you to gain victory. Now finally... Truth number four, the priority of the Holy Spirit. And if you have your Bibles, give you a moment, turn to Ephesians 5.18. I want you to see this verse. This is one of the most important verses. Ephesians and Galatians talk very much about the Spirit, uses some very powerful metaphors. Let's uh, connect to it. So, the priority of the Spirit... Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul uses a negative metaphor to teach a beautiful concept. What's the negative metaphor here? It's a command to not get drunk with wine. If you've ever had that experience, you know what that means, right? Right? The wine is influencing you, is controlling you. Your behavior becomes different. How many of you have had that experience? Okay, there's only like a dozen are honest. How many of you have had that experience? Okay. I'm not happy about that, but as a teenager, there was a bottle that you could get for a buck. It's called MD-2020. Anybody remember those days? Mad Dog, it's called, 2020. 20% alcohol, $1, go, 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 drunk with wine. Not good. Teenagers, hear me. Not good. Say amen. 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 Okay, don't go there. But here's the deal. Paul's taking this negative metaphor that people, again, understood. When you're influenced by too much wine, you're out of control. You have a negative influence. So don't be influenced by this but let the Holy Spirit influence every day of your life. If you wanna hang your hat, on Ephesians 5.18, one word, influence. Now, here's the encouragement. The issue isn't about wine in Ephesians. The issue is about the flesh, the world, and the devil. Do you realize there are hundreds of things that can influence us negatively in Christ? Hundreds of things, folks. We can get preoccupied with us, ourself, our little life versus thinking about the kingdom and glory of God. We can get so enamored with the things of this world. First John says, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any person loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. All that is in the world, listen to the categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, not from the Father, but of the world. The things of the world pass away, the lust thereof. He that does the will of the Father abides forever. Whatever is negatively influenced us away from Christ, whatever it is, an attitude. Right now, you could have an attitude. Just sitting there saying, boy, it's 1030. Pastor, uh, you almost done? That's an attitude. None of you do that, right? No, never. Never happened. No, nope. thanks, Heath. He's with me. Pickleball tomorrow, right? All right. So, folks, sincerely, this is so important there's going to be one of two things happening in your life and mine. Will the spirit have the ultimate way, the ultimate influence, or the things of this world, things of this flesh, things of the devil have the ultimate way? It's always a choice right now. This night, this coming week, what will be the dominant influence in your life? Will it bring glory to God because the spirit is empowering it? Or will it be fleshly, worldly, against God? So let the Spirit influence. Now, three things, three priorities here, real quick. Being filled means keeping in cadence with the Spirit. That's literally what it means. You ever do that? Left, 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 right, left? So just imagine being in the military, and if you get out of cadence, you're in trouble, right? Walk in the Spirit, Galatians says. Keeping cadence with the Spirit. It's a beautiful picture. Secondly, Being filled is a command. In other words, it's non-negotiable. This is something God calls us to do, to live fruitfully, to live victoriously. And number third, being filled is continual. In other words, in the language, it's a present active indicative. Right now, we need to be filled. Tonight, we need to be filled. We need to take a filling uh, uh, assessment. Lord, our, our... Is everything in my life being influenced by you? Am I yielding, surrendering my life to your spirit? Now, let me share with you a very important truth that really has helped me over the years. Being filled with the spirit is not an issue of us getting more of the spirit, no. God's spirit fills us 100%. He's all in, but rather the spirit getting more of us. This is about surrendering. This is about yielding. This is about saying, I want to keep in cadence with the Spirit of God. Do your will, Father, not mine. Now, in closing, we have to ask this question. What about sin? What about when you and I sin, we fall short of the glory of God? How does that in fact, affect the presence? How does it affect the power? And how does it affect the priority of being filled with the Spirit? Let me give you a few thoughts, and we'll close. Number one... Sin grieves the Holy Spirit, and if you have your Bibles again, we have time this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians four thirty. You can leave that there for a minute, Brett. So Ephesians four thirty. Notice what the Bible says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you, along with malice. Did you see that list, folks? Those relational items. They're so contrary to God's work in our life. And then the flip side. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. And so what happens is when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Remember, our bodies are a temple. And so he's saddened, he's disappointed, but don't miss this next one. Persistent sin quenches the Holy Spirit. This is level two in our life when we just persist in our sin, when we say no to God's work, when we resist his conviction. Where do I get that from? First Thessalonians 5.19 Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Probably the saddest example of this comes from the Old Testament, King David. If you recall, he committed adultery. And that really, really affected his life, his walk with the Lord. Then to cover up adultery, what did he do? He committed murder. He ran from God as a spiritual fugitive. He literally put the Spirit's fire out. And what did God do? Out of love, out of grace, out of mercy, sent Nathan the prophet, David come clean, and he finally did. You read Psalm 32, Psalm 38, David was in misery when he put the Spirit's fire out, but then he comes clean, he confesses, and boy, oh boy, Psalm 51. Now finally, how do we deal with our sin? Brokenness and repentance restores fellowship with the Spirit. Let me give you a passage from Luke 22, 61 through 62. And this is so beautiful. If you remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. In fact, he cussed, he cursed. This was a grievous sin. His dear friend, he denied. And then Jesus said, hey, Peter, when the cock crows, you'll remember. And so look at this passage. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to them, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And I love Peter's response. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. How do we respond to sin? Number one, know this. Sin grieves the spirit. Persistent sin puts the spirit's life in us out. We are unempowered. But like Peter, what can we do? We can be broken over our sin. We can turn from our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin, and the Lord will restore the joy of our salvation. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing. But before we do sing this creedal song, which is so beautiful, I want to just have us take a moment to reflect. So if we could just take a moment, uh, close our eyes, bow our heads, just try to draw near to God, as James says, and he'll draw near to you. David learned some wonderful lessons when he ran from the Lord. And one of the lessons he learned is that God is merciful and that God is gracious. And in Psalm 139, the end of that beautiful chapter, it's a beautiful chapter, he has a prayer that all of us could pray even this morning. He says, Lord, search my heart, try my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in your way everlasting. I took a prayer walk this morning before I came in, and it was a really meaningful time with the Lord. I confessed some sins. I came clean. I sang. It was an intimate time. As your pastor, yes, I fall short of the glory of God. I struggle sometimes with my thoughts, my attitudes, my disposition. And I regularly have to confess, come clean. Maybe you're here this morning, you've grieved the Holy Spirit because there's just certain sin in your life that you haven't addressed. You could do that this morning. Maybe you've persisted in sin and nobody knows about it. And it's hurting your walk with God and each other. Let God's Spirit bring freedom this morning. Respond like Peter, he weeps bitterly, he's broken. Respond like David, restore to me, Lord, the joy of your your salvation. What a beautiful life we have to live, to walk in the presence and to the power of the Spirit's work in our life, and to see his fruit manifest, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Pray with me, please. What a beautiful thing, Father, to draw near to you as you draw near to us. That is a gift. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for giving us the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit who lives in us who have believed on Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Lord. We're never, ever alone. Father, thank you for the power to live victorious, to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. What a joy. And thank you, Father, today that we could be filled with your Spirit and live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Lord, thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. That when we fall short, we can cry out to you. Be forgiven. Be restored. Experience the joy of our salvation. So hallelujah, Father. We thank you for all you've done through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.